0: No question about it. There's no question. The presence of God changes our life, but it also changes our culture. The presence of God. Very interesting. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembry. I'm Janice. And this is a program called Bible Discovery TV. We discover the Bible, the 66 books written by the 40 authors over 1,500 years, and all with the same theme. And that's very, very interesting. We're going to study this in about five minutes from Psalm 80. It's going to be a good one. But also, Corey and Ryan are here. Corey.
1: I'm going to be taking a look at some excavated tombs in ancient Jerusalem. Ryan?
2: Today I'm going on location to talk about Messianic prophecies in the book of Psalms.
0: Oh, I love that. That's good. They're coming up in about 20 minutes time. Janice is coming up in about 25 minutes. Janice?
3: Oh, shepherd of Israel.
0: All right, that's good. Take your Bible guide out and let's study the book, the most important book of all the Bible, as we listen to what God has said to us today.
3: Psalm 80, 1 through 7 Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who dwell between the cherubim, shine forth. Before Ephraim, Benjamin, and Manasseh, stir up your strength, and come and save us. Restore us, O God, cause your face to shine, and we shall be saved. O Lord God of hosts, how long will you be angry against the prayer of your people? You have fed them with the bread of tears and given them tears to drink in great measure. You have made us a strife to our neighbors and our enemies laugh among themselves. Restore us, O God of hosts, cause your face to shine and we shall be saved. Psalm 80 verses
0: 1 through 7 Psalm 80 81 82 83 and 84 these are chapters in the Bible as we go through it and we discover what God is saying to us Now repentance today is often seen as a deep sorrow shame or contribution for past sin wrongdoing or the like Regret for any past action. Now, the idea of regret is key. Now, there are many who never regret anything that they have wanted to do or have done. They are protesting moral truth for their own moral ideas, which are not good for the greater good of the community or themselves. Now, this has happened many times in Israel today, in the last two years, and many times in the United States and Canada as well. Repentance is a self-recognition of sin or wrongdoing. Self-recognition of sin or wrongdoing. And people don't like that. In the Bible, however, it is more than just an inward feeling. Repentance means that we recognize, and after recognizing our sins for what they are, we will also stop our way of doing things and accept God's way. As human beings, we are all sinners. As Christians, we have discovered that we are forgiven and restored with God when we come to Jesus Christ and confess our sins and begin to follow him with our whole life and everything we do. Now, repentance is important. And as we discover this today, we learn some fascinating things. Now, take your Bible guide, turn to today's passage, The May Guide has been sent out. If you're on the mailing list, if you're not, let me just remind you that if you call us or you write to us, we will send it to you. Another way you can get a hold of it is go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com, click on the page, and it will take you to a donate page where you can make a donation, and then you can download it just as we printed it in a PDF file. And let me say thank you to everybody who has been faithful to giving to this ministry. We don't tell you how much to give because we believe the Holy Spirit will do that. But we just thank you for responding to God and and praise God that he's kept us alive so far. So that's very, very important. Now. As we look at times of repentance, this is important because it's not a word that we really like to hear about today. Today, we always say, well, I'm this and I'm that. I'm the best at this and the best. You hear a lot of that. But repentance is a recognition that we're sinners and we need Jesus Christ. And he came, died on the cross and rose again that we would come to him. And today I pray, Father, in Jesus name, that we would hear you when you speak to us. Help us to hear you. Help us to respond properly. In the name of Jesus Christ, this is what I pray, that I would listen. I wouldn't project into the word of God what I think, but I would take from the word of God what you have said and make it apply to my heart. So help me. This is a very personal message for each of us today, Lord. And we thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. And we said together, amen. Now, open your Bible. And let's turn and let's look at Psalm 80, verses 1 and 2. Here is the scripture. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who dwell between the cherubim, shine forth before Ephraim, Benjamin, and Manasseh. Stir up your strength and come and save us. Now, this is quite the statement. Salvation comes when we recognize that we are not an island and we need God's help. We're not independent islands sitting over here in the corner. There is no real change when we stand alone and demand our own way. You know, the best way that I can describe sin is an image of somebody standing alone saying, I want what I want when I want it. And think about this. Everything we have in today's world, the algorithms, algorithms are God and all that. They they learn what we like. And if we like that, that's all they send us on the internet. So we really don't have an image of what's truly happening in the news because all the computer has skewed to us what we like. And it's giving us what we want, when we want, how we want it. That becomes a problem. We need to come back and say, Lord, we need your help. Psalm 80, verse 3. It's a very simple psalm and fascinating. Restore us, O God. Cause your face to shine, and we shall be saved. Cause your face to shine, and we shall be saved. The presence of God changes us and our culture. The Holy Spirit is the presence of God. We cannot change without divine direction. We cannot change without divine direction a lot of people think we can change with technology we can't we just use the technology to reinforce our bad human behavior and everybody's talking about ai right now and all of that well let me tell you something artificial intelligence is still created by human beings who are bound by sin so beloved we cannot change with technology because our hearts haven't changed and that becomes very important we need to recognize that we need to understand that and and pray and say lord help us to to be people who follow you and not technology thank you lord in jesus wonderful name and that's something important now we go to psalm chapter 80 verses four to seven this is very interesting let's pay attention oh lord god of hosts, how long will you be angry against the prayer of your people you have fed them with the bread of tears and have given them tears to drink in great measure. You have made us strive to our neighbors. Our enemies laugh among themselves. Restore us, O God of hosts. Cause your face to shine, and we shall be saved. Restore us, God of hosts. Cause your face to shine, and we shall be Saved. Now that brings me to this point. The face of God represents his presence. That's the Holy Spirit. The Lord restores us when we call on him and call on his help in repentance and are willing to change our attitude towards sin. We're willing to change it. Are we willing to change our attitude towards sin? Are we willing to stop doing the things that we want to do to to make ourselves feel good? Remember that feeling is not faith. Faith is not feeling. Feeling is not faith. Faith is not feeling. Feelings follow faith. Signs and wonders follow real faith. It's very important that we get this right. And so, Father, I pray today that you would help each of us to understand this. And and, and we have to change the way we are. And, And we can't do that. But your Holy Spirit can if we come to you and confess to you that we were sinners and we need your help. We need the help of Jesus Christ because every answer we have, the government should do this, they should, every answer we have is wrong. The only answer that's right is we need to come to you and say, Lord, forgive us of our sins. Then your face will shine and we will be saved. So Father, forgive us of our sins. Help us now in Jesus name. And we said together, Amen. But a lie is when somebody tells you, I know how you'll be happy. You buy this hairspray and you're gonna be happy. You smell like this flower, you're gonna be happy. You take this drug, you're gonna be happy. You buy this car, you're gonna be happy. See, it all tells me I'm going to be happy. No, I'm not. That's not how this works. The truth is that I am not happy until I find the purpose of why I exist. My purpose for living.
2: Welcome back to the program. Today I'm really excited because we're going to go on location to talk about a very, very important topic, and that is Messianic Prophecies in the Book of Psalms. And I actually wrote about this in May's Bible Discovery Guide, so if you have a copy, you can follow along with me. And if you aren't subscribed to the Bible Guide, then why not? You can get it for a donation in any amount. It really is a great print companion to this program. All right, well, that said, let's get to it. friends, it's Ryan Hambur here, and this video is all about Messianic prophecies in the book of Psalms. That is to say, predictions that were made about the coming savior of the world. Well, it's a really exciting topic, so grab your Bible and let's go. Okay, so the Book of Psalms, which is also known as the Hymn Book of Israel, is a true masterpiece orchestrated by the Holy Spirit of God Himself. And even though the book is poetic in form, it speaks just as clearly about the Messiah as the other Old Testament books do, and it does so with great frequency. That's why Jewish believer Arnold Fruchtenbaum summarizes the Psalms as poetic versions of the messages of the Law and the Prophets. The whole Book of Psalms, he says, is full of profound doctrine, and deep spiritual truths couched in poetic terms. I couldn't agree more. And regarding the promised Savior, the psalmist wastes little time as messianic prophecies begin as early as Psalm 2 and progress to reveal the entire messianic program, including his first coming, the interval, the second coming, and the coming messianic kingdom. And as a few examples, consider Psalms 16 and 22, which both teach that the Messiah would die and rise again. As a matter of fact, Psalm 22 gives such great detail, more than 20 specific details, regarding the terrible sufferings the Messiah would face that it could rightly be called the poetic version of Isaiah 53. And the second part of this psalm exalts the Messiah and speaks of the future establishment of his kingdom. And this, of course, presupposes the resurrection. Psalm 2 also speaks of Messiah's coming kingdom for seeing his rule over all the nations with a rod of iron. Psalm 80 centers around Israel during the interval period and ends with the anticipation of the second coming and the national salvation of Israel. And how do we know that this is during the interval? Well, notice that the Son in verse 15 is at the right hand of God in verse 17, having already been raised up. In Psalm 110, even though it's only seven verses long, prophesies of the entire messianic sequence but just who is this messiah well significantly there's only one person in all of human history to whom all of these details can be ascribed and that is none other than jesus of nazareth as the 18th century english theologian john gill put it they cannot with any tolerable color or pretense be applied to any other as jesus himself said in luke 24 44, this is what i told you while i was still with you Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the Law of Moses, the Prophets, and the Psalms. All right, so that was just a quick overview of some of the amazing Messianic prophecies in the Book of Psalms. But there is more to this video, and if you want to see the uncut version, then just head on over to my YouTube channel, which is just my name, Ryan Henry. And look for the video called Prophecy and Poetry. And also, please feel free to share these videos with others.
0: Yeah, I think that's important because you can see, because your videos go so fast and there's a yeah. lot of information in there, but you can see them over and over again. <laughs> that's uh, right, yeah. that's, that's really good. You know, poetry, prophecy, and the style of writing, uh, the, apo- uh, the, the apostolic literature, uh, is very, very important to understand because poetry is not just... Um, you know, just poetry for the sake of feeling good, it's in prophecy. Hmm. And it's a combination of, for example, when you say something and you go into music, it communicates different levels. And I think that's important to realize.
2: Mm-hmm, sure. And
0: uh, we need to, to pay attention to that because prophecy is happening now and prophecy is real. And uh, it is what God has designated for us. And uh, very, very interesting. There's about one third of prophecy that isn't done yet.
2: Yeah, So exactly. And Christ will fulfill uh, all the remaining ones there I that speak about him.
0: Totally so. agree with you on that. And so it's really interesting to see. Okay, Corey. All
1: right. Well, today you and I are going to be taking a look at some ancient tombs that have been explored archaeologically in Jerusalem. Take a look. In modern-day Jerusalem, just outside of the Damascus Gate, stands the Monastery of the Dominican Fathers. Underneath this historic monastery rest two of the largest burial caves found to date in what was ancient Judah. These two cave complexes were dug during the First Temple Period in the midst of the Judean monarchy. Immediately noticeable to researchers was the smooth, immaculate finish of the rock-cut walls achieved by the designers of the tombs, as well as the sheer size of the complexes, each one boasting about 10,000 square feet of underground chamber. Each complex was built around a central entrance chamber. One stepped down into this chamber and would have had to enter through a hinged double door, evidenced by the remaining doorpost holes. The walls of the chamber still show off their shallow, carved rectangular panels that might mimic wooden panels that once adorned not only Solomon's temple, but also the royal palaces of Israel and Judah. Off of the entrance chamber are six rooms. Four are the same. They have three walls with a burial bench each, with carved headrests that reveal how the dead were laid, one on each side bench and two on the end bench. Underneath the right-hand bench of these rooms was a carved bone repository, where the bones and burial goods of the dead would be placed when the bench was next needed. One room was empty and possibly a preparation room. The remaining room had two wide benches on its side walls to hold two bodies each and a staircase on the back wall that led up to the most important room in the tomb, containing what were once three carved sarcophagi. These complexes are by far the most elaborate, fine, and large first temple period tombs known in ancient Judah today. Whoever they belonged to originally must have been quite wealthy and influential, if not part of the royal family. Their exploration has added to knowledge about the burial practices during the time of the kings, the decoration of palaces described in the Bible, and even the use and length of the biblical cubit and reed. They also potentially shed new light on the nearby so-called garden tomb. I don't know if you feel this way as well, but when I see images of ancient places and ancient walls that were carved out by people thousands of years ago, it gets me really excited. It really just gets my my mind swimming with questions. Who were these people? What what do we share in common? What did they know? What were their motivations? What what were their lives like? And amazingly, because these tombs are in ancient Jerusalem and have been dated to the time period of the kings of Israel, we are able to have some context for who some answers, right? Who these people were, what, what their lives were. Like uh, and and what they believed about God, uh, and I I think for our purposes today, one of the amazing things is that due to the date of these tombs, we know that the people who not only were interred in these tombs originally, but but the workmen and the craftsmen who who made these tombs originally, and the architects and all of that, they would have been familiar with the Hebrew versions of the Psalms that we have been reading. And I just I love that. I think it's you, really
0: cool. You, I, I love it because you really like the graves.
1: I do. <laughs> <laughs> I really do.
0: But because you can, you can tell things. That's where you discover what they were like.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I, it's, it's, it's an interesting thing. A little bit of a morbid study, but interesting. But then,
0: like let it. me, I mean, that's a really good <laughs> question. And that, that is this, that if you look at our graves today, how we bury people Mm -hmm. uh, and you could project yourself
1: 300 400
0: 500 years in the future if the lord tarries which i doubt he will but if he does what would we be able to tell about our culture
1: Mm -hmm.
0: and our technology Mm -hmm.
1: very interesting i think a lot i know
0: very interesting. Yeah. Uh, so, Because there's nothing different than the people are still people, but it's the culture around them that changes. Yeah,
1: the attitudes uh, towards death, how you feel about it. And also, I mean, also there are differences based on the landscape as well, right? Yeah. So here in Canada, we bury people in a different way than you would in the Near East. You know, there's there's just differences based on geography as well, but definitely also culture and and um, values and
0: there's what what i ran into is in in the northlands and we got to get on to you in your okay. segment here but in the north north of here mm-hmm. in canada there they have to wait to bury because oh, yeah. permafrost yep i mean you don't have permafrost down in georgia you don't mm-hmm. have it in florida but you have it up here so yeah. they have to wait. wait so it's really interesting fascinating stuff okay mm-hmm. uh go ahead Jim.
3: well Prayer for Israel's Restoration is Psalm 80, and I titled this, O Shepherd of Israel, because in the very first verse of Psalm 80, the psalmist um, ascribes the name, O Shepherd of Israel, to God. Give ear, O Shepherd of Israel, who lead Joseph like a flock who dwell between the cherubim, shine forth. What a great way to start off this psalm. And I wanted to focus in on us as being God's sheep. And he is our good shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. And um, that I want us to be like sheep and not to be stubborn like goats with our life Uh, because it's very easy for us to get off the path, to find our own way, and to leave following the Lord Jesus. So I wanted just to remind us, we must live to follow God and take him at his word. Let's not be stubborn like a goat, but follow our shepherd as his sheep. And I wanted to read, of course, one of the most popular Psalms of all, Psalm 23, talking about the shepherd. The Lord is the shepherd of his people. Listen to these amazing benefits and blessings that we receive when we follow that good shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever." This amazing psalm, Rod, written by David, who, as we know by going through the scriptures, as a young boy, was a shepherd to his father's sheep and would be very keenly aware of the difference between a good shepherd and a bad shepherd. Mm. And so putting penning these words, having the time maybe in the twilight of of nighttime when the sheep are starting to settle, to begin to think on his relationship with God as his good shepherd and the benefits of that. And this was all training, of course, towards David being anointed the king of Israel uh, later on in his life and how he would have to be a great king.
0: What's interesting is he was alone with the sheep, because, you know, shepherding was a very specific task, a job task, and the younger gentleman would get it because nobody wanted to do it. But shepherding was really important. And then later in life, he became the king, and he had all these people around him. But he always referred back to the time when he was, I mean, he was like alone, because God would speak to him. Mm-hmm. And that is absolutely stunning. Mm-hmm. And we, we need to we need to pay attention to that, because even right up to the end of his life, he knew that God had prepared him for everything in his life. And uh, this is absolutely amazing.
3: Well, and so, you know, as we're going through the Psalms and, and and as we go through Scripture, you know, there are times there are people who are really questioning God's authority the authority of God's word. And I think it's really important that we ask each of ourselves, you know, Jesus asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? And then he narrowed it down. He made it very personal after they answered who people were saying that he was. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And that's the same question that echoes to each one of us today. Who do I say? Who do you say? that Jesus Christ is and uh, once you have made that determination if you believe that he says who he said he is that he's the son of God came to the earth died on the cross rose again in three days is the one the only one who can restore us to God the father then we need to remind ourselves about this good shepherd and follow him
0: Remember, BD Family and Friends is a channel on Roku, and it's also on the website, and you go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com, and you can be a part of this and watch the programs we do and everything else. I want to encourage you. We're there, and we produce the programming for you, so make sure you join us and keep in touch with us on the internet. Today we pray and say, Lord, I confess that I need to change my attitude towards you and towards the things I do. Help me, Lord, today in Jesus' name.